Good morning, family, and I know you're enjoying this beautiful weather. You really missed it if you weren't here for the first service. In the first service, the winds, I think, were twice as hard, and it was probably a good 10 degrees cooler in the first service. So I am so glad to see you this morning. I'm glad that you're joining us. I'm glad you're joining us online today. I want to talk to you today about what if. We have been looking at a passage of Scripture that I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time, and we're going to read it. I'm going to read and then stop, and if you will repeat the phrase that I've just read. And we're going to talk about what if as we wrap up our series today on infinitely more. Now, all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power and His work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. You know, I love to think about the Apostle Paul as he's writing these words from prison. He's in chains, and he's still writing with this kind of faith. He's not complaining. He's not grumbling. But his faith is thinking about those what-if moments. And that made me begin to think. Our Father in heaven is a what-if kind of God, you know? He's a what-if God. He looked around himself at all that there was with him, and he began to create. And then when he got to you and I, he said, what if I create human beings in my image? And so God created in His image. And then the thought was, what if they fail? He's not going to give up on us. And that what if moment led Him to send Jesus Christ to die for our sins. And not just to die at Calvary, but to be resurrected on the third day. And because He lives, we can live. He's a what if kind of God. And Jesus demonstrates that because He's a what if kind of Savior. He meets a woman that everybody else gives up on, and they want to stone. They want to murder. But Jesus looks at her, and he goes, what if I forgive her sins? And so he looks at this dear woman after dismissing the crowd, and he goes to her, go and sin no more. I'm not condemning you. And you know, God is not a condemning God. He's a saving God. Well, what if kind of Savior that when he met a blind man, he healed him? A what-if kind of Savior that when he met a lame man, he healed him, and he went walking and leaping. He's the what-if kind of Savior that even when there were dead people, he raised them from the dead. And you know, I think this morning, as you and I think about this and pray about this, we need to really grasp this thought about living what-if kind of lives. You know, Moses was a what-if kind of person. Moses thought he knew it all. Moses was the adopted son of a Pharaoh. Moses had more potential than he dreamed, and he took the law into his own hands, and he murdered somebody. So God sent him into the desert for 40 years, and 40 years later, Moses begins to think, what if God could deliver the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt? What if I could stand up to the most powerful ruler in the whole wide world? And he follows the leading of the Lord to go back, and he just stands. You've got to get this in your mind. He stands in ancient Egypt before someone that is revered and worshipped as a god, and he says, let my people go. 
And that's the beginning of the story that we know of Israel. I think of three boys. They were what-if kind of boys. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they said, what if we stay faithful to God, even when the most powerful king at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, says, if you don't bow down and worship this idol of me, then I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And those three boys just got together and says, what if we choose to obey God? What if we choose, despite all the odds, to do what God tells us to do? What would God do for us? And so they said to Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebi, you can do whatever you want to. And if God chooses to deliver us, great. If he chooses not to deliver us, that's okay as well. And so King Nebuchadnezzar was so angry, he had the fiery furnace heated up seven times hotter, so hot that when they opened up the doors of the furnace, it killed the guards and the soldiers around that furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just said, what if we trust God? And into the fiery furnace they went. And later, Nebuchadnezzar ordered that the doors be opened up, and he looked inside, and there was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a fourth that Nebuchadnezzar said looked like the Son of God himself. And so I want to challenge you today to what-if kind of people. Jesus responded to hunger and says, what if I fed them? And he fed them. And you know, one time, he wanted to test his disciples, people like you, people like me, and so he had a crowd of people that were there. They didn't have any fried chicken. They didn't have any cornbread. And so he looked at the disciples and he says, how are we going to feed them? He's given them a chance to be what if kind of people. And so the disciples began to grumble and says, has Jesus lost his mind? Where are we going to get enough money to buy enough fried chicken to feed all of these people? And there is one among the 12 that thinks, what if God could use this boy's lunch? And so he goes up to a junior high student, and he asks the boy for his lunch, and the boy brings him his fish and his biscuits. And Peter sa and Philip says, it's not much, Jesus, but here's a boy's lunch. And that what if moment turned into one of the miracles that you're all familiar with, where Jesus fed the multitude. I'm telling you, God is looking for what-if kind of people. William Temple said, the Christian church is the one organization in the world that exists purely for the benefit of non-members. You know, everything that God has blessed us with, it's not for ourselves. It's not so that we can consume it for ourselves, but it's so we can be a blessing to the community around us. It's so that we can be a blessing not just to the community of haves, but the community of have-nots as well. I began to think about all of the what-if moments here at Woodland since we started. I thought about all of the people who had come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I thought about 17 churches that this church has planted. I thought about orphanages that this church has built and missionaries that this church has supported around the world. I thought about ministries that feed children every single day from this church. I thought about ministries that clothe and educate children every single day from this church. I thought about people who have come to our church that didn't know that living 
living together without being married was a sin. And so they came to church and they began to worship with us. They gave their hearts to Jesus. And then one Sunday morning, they heard a message or they read something in their Bible about how they should commit their lives to one another in marriage. And now they and their children are living in happy homes. I talked to one of those couples this week and says, Pastor, we never knew it was sin until we came and we met the Lord at Woodland Church. I thought about people who decided, what would happen if I put God first in my finances? I can't pay my bills now, but if I took God at his word and I put God first in my finances, I thought about people who saw a need from our congregation and have been meeting that need. I thought about people who thought they could never be free from alcohol or substance addiction, and they've been set free and they're living productive and prosperous lives now, all because of the ministries of this church. I want to tell you something. I love being a part of Woodland Church. I love being a part of what God's doing in our community. And I thought again about how we think about two ways that God looks at people to answer two questions they have. And everybody's asking this question, will you love me and will you accept me? Even the person that snidely says, I don't care what people think about me, I found out they really do care what people think about them. And so I just simply say to them, you know, God loves you just like you are, and he accepts you just like you are. I remember listening to Billy Graham or Cliff Barrow sing one time at a Billy Graham crusade, Just As I Am. And as he sang that powerful song, and I watched the people on television as they were streaming down to the altar, and I thought how many of those people must have been blown away by the thought. They didn't have to clean themselves up. They didn't have to change their act. They just simply came and let Jesus change and make them what-if kind of people as well. Isn't that good news? You know, sometimes I meet people, though, that they've been hurt. They've been devastated. They've been hurt. They've been followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I think about Jesus. You know, Jesus chose 12 to follow him. They were 12 what-if kind of people. They were people that laid down their lives for the gospel. They went as far east as India. They went all the way across the Roman Empire. 11 of them did, but one of them chose not to believe. And it's possible you could be watching or you could be here at Woodland and you're hearing the gospel and you, you hear it and you like what you hear, but you still let your doubts. And one of those disciples, his name was Judas. He let his doubts, he let his own personal agenda get in the way of what God wanted. And it became toxic in his life. And he ended up betraying the very Savior who loved him and the very Savior who called him, the very Savior that wanted to use him to be a blessing to the world. And I've often wondered why Judas didn't repent. And the more I thought about that, there's something that some of you who are in the medical field here, you understand better than I do. Jesus is a toxicologist. Jesus is the one that takes the toxins out of our soul if we will allow him to. Jesus is the one that brings the fullness of shalom, God's peace into our lives. Jesus is the one that causes the fullness of dreams to come true in our life. But not everybody will give up their toxicness. There was a young rich ruler who loved money more then he loved Jesus. And so his desire for more money and more stuff caused him to walk away from Jesus sorrowful. And Jesus looked at him and loved him, even though the young man 
could have been set free. There are people who love fame more than they love anything else, and they will do anything to be successful, to get their one moment of fame. Sometimes it even involves taking somebody else's life or doing something dramatic to get attention on YouTube just so they can have that one moment of fame. Some of you in the church before have come to me and you said, Pastor, have you ever done a detox? And I'd ask you, because I didn't know when that became a popular thing, what is a detox? And when you began to tell me what a detox was, frankly, you scared me to death. There was no way I was going to do some of the things that you were suggesting. Kidney detoxes, liver detoxes. This is getting a little personal, but coming to me telling me about colon detoxes. No way that was happening to me. But may I suggest to you this morning that what we really need is a spiritual and a mental detox where Christ comes and takes those poisons and those doubts out of our soul. Sometimes we are like Judas. We really don't understand the Bible. Two of Jesus' disciples, they walked away from Jerusalem They were sad. They were brokenhearted. They had given up. Suddenly a stranger walks along beside them. They don't recognize who this stranger is. You know because you've read your Bibles. He's the resurrected Lord. He's the resurrected Jesus. And he's walking along with them back to their home at Emmaus. And they said to him, they says, you know, he asked him, he says, why are you so sorrowful? What's so toxic that's made you so sad? And they said, you know, we thought this man, Jesus, who had been, was crucified. He was going to be our savior. He was going to be our deliverer but now he's dead and buried. And the Bible says, look at it. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Sometimes you just need to ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart and open your mind and take those toxins and those poisons out of your life. And when Jesus broke bread with them, suddenly their lives were changed. They said, did not our hearts burn within us? You can burn. I'm telling you, you can burn with the holy fire of God, or you can be consumed with the fire of toxins that will take you to a place of eternal torment and of eternal flame. And it's your choice to choose to allow Jesus to be your toxicologist, to allow Jesus to be your savior, to allow Jesus to help you recover, even if you've been wounded as a follower of Jesus Christ, the way that Judas was. One author wrote, change is the essence of life. Be willing to surrender what you are for what you could become. And so this morning, I ask you, would you be willing to allow Jesus to do detox in your life? And that begins, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, by just simply admitting what Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says about all of us. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And I don't say that with condemnation. I don't say that with anger. That includes me. I think it broke the heart of God because he created us. He was a what if God. And he says, what if we make them in our image? You know, before Becky and I became the parents of four children, we thought about this because we were married for a long time before our first son was born. And we used to ask our questions because as youth pastors and pastors, we had heard so many times when kids have come to us and said, I hate my parents. We'd heard so many times when parents had come to us brokenhearted because their teenager had said, I hate you, or they had ran away from home. 
And we thought maybe God was trying to spare us from that. Or maybe God just wanted us to open up our home to children in our community and in our church and in the high schools. And we did that. And God gave us so many students through the years, both Munskins and teenagers and college students. But that desire never left our hearts. And when we became parents, it wasn't accidental. When we became parents, it was by choice. It was from prayer and fasting. And we had four what ifs named Andrew, Christopher, Benjamin, and Amy. And now we have three what if grandchildren and one more what if that is on the way. Because we know you never give up because of fear of the future. You never give up because of fear of what might happen. God God is the God of the what if, and if the dream is dead today, it will live tomorrow. And that is what God wants to put into our lives. Secondly, you've got to believe that Jesus died for you, not just for the whole world, but for you personally. It's what John 1:12 says. And then finally, confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. And if you do that, you can begin to live a what if kind of life. And then secondly, this morning, I want to do life with people who dream and imagine and ask the question, what if? I want to do life with people who are like that. Not people who are satisfied with the status quo. Not the people who are going to do the same old, same old. You know, I got to tell you something. The COVID crisis has taught me the power of what if. Because we could have given up on a lot of things. We could have surrendered to a lot of things. There goes somebody's music. That's okay. We'll get it. But you know, as I thought about that, those what if moments, it hasn't stopped us from ministry. It hasn't stopped us from missions. It hasn't stopped us from outreach. I called a friend of mine this week because I needed somebody to dream with me. You know, for the last few weeks, my life has been inundated with people's problems and challenges, and that's fine. I like helping people with that. But I needed some dream time because we're about to enter the wintertime in Michigan and how we do ministry and how we're going to be able to serve. And what if, half what happens if a music stand, somebody better come up here and kind of clear all this off. You, Mark, you come on this, come around so you don't come in front of the camera, son. And that way you can help me get some of this cleaned up. But you want to ask, what if God was to do this? This quote is in your your small group growth work and your think about it work. But Elizabeth Newhouse wrote, my husband and I like to play what if. We sit still and we toss out ideas and we ask ourselves, what if we moved out of state? What if we relocated? What if we enclosed our porch? What if we got a dog? And some of the what ifs come to fruition and some of the what ifs don't come to fruition. But we found out that the process of asking what if, it airs out our marriage. It opens doors and windows of possibility. Now listen to this. By thinking about the what if moments, it draws us closer to one another. I hope that you'll do some what if thinking this week. I hope that you'll do some what if dreaming this week. I hope you'll get around people who will challenge you with some what if kinds of questions. One of my friends this week asked me, he says, why didn't you get another dog? And I said, well, it was really hard and I didn't want to get into all of it. As a matter of fact, I didn't want to get into it at all. But he kind of pressed the issues and he says, you ought to get another dog. You ought to have another dog. 
And I sat there for a moment, and I thought about a dog sitting in the chair beside me in front of the fireplace and scratching his head while I read my Bible. I thought about a dog meeting me there at the front door when I came in, wagging his tail, so happy to see me. And then I thought about, what if I had to wipe all the snow off of him when he went outside in the wintertime? What if I had to take him down the street and walk him? You know, and I began to think about all of those what-ifs, and that what-if outweighed the what-ifs of sitting by the fireplace with a dog. Sometimes you just need to dream through all the what-if possibilities. Zig Ziglar says, I don't want to hang around people who brighten the room when they leave it. I want to hang around the room, hang around people who brighten the room when they enter it. Let me ask you a question. Now, don't raise your hand. In the first service, people still raise their hand. So don't you raise your hand. How many of you know somebody that they brighten the room when they leave the room? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) How many of you know somebody that brightens the room when they enter the room? You know, those are the kind of people I want to be around. The people that when they come in, they bring an attitude of cheer and joy. They bring an attitude of, we can do this. They're not grumpy. They're not bitter. They're not looking for everything that's wrong. They're not the Eeyores of life. They're the Tiggers of life. They just believe that everything is wonderful and we can get things done. So I've thought about that. And you know, in my life, I need people like Nathan. Nathan, the prophet of God, who came up to David and says, David, you've sinned. You've sinned. And he calls him to count. And David repents and course corrects. I need people in my life like Deborah, who are people of mercy and who have my backside. I need people in my life like Jonathan, who are good friends and true friends to me. I need Timothys in my life that I can mentor. They can be a protege. I need mentors in my life like the Apostle Paul, who will mentor me and teach me. Yesterday, I preached a funeral for a man who gave his heart to Jesus Christ eight years ago. And what a joy to preach his funeral and to know that his family never gave up praying for him. And at 60 years old, he gave his life to Christ. He was baptized in water. And he sang a beautiful song that he recorded of himself singing. And it was accidentally discovered on a digital recorder. I feel like I've been born again. And as I listened to that song, my heart was moved and filled with joy. He lived 60 years of life, always looking for the next thing. Broken relationships, broken marriages. But at 60, he began to dream a what-if moment and lived the last eight years of his life building a business that honored Jesus Christ. And he went to heaven in victory and glory. But here's what brought me to that. Because I need some little ones in my life, like the little Rhodas of the New Testament. Because yesterday, four little children after that funeral who loved me and called me pastor came up and grabbed my knees and grabbed my waist and hugged me and said, Pastor, we love you. And I realized I need to put that into the message today. I need these little ones in my life. I need the rejects that everybody hates, like Matthew and Zacchaeus. I need the sick and the crippled in my life because these are the people that dream what if moments with you. But more than that, I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I need the Holy Spirit that is my comforter, my counselor, my guide who leads me each and every step of the way. And I need some Barnabases as well. And so do you. You know, there was a young man by the name of John Mark. John Mark started out well. 
but somehow or another the persecution got great, the suffering got great, and it was, you know, following Jesus and preaching the gospel wasn't everything that John thought it was going to be. A lot of times I get a call from young preachers and young pastors, and they'll say to me, you know, this is happening. This is not, I didn't expect this to happen. And I say, you know, it's all part of it, but don't you give up. And I want to be a Barnabas in their life because Barnabas didn't give up on John Mark. Years ago, there were two men in this church. They had been told they could never have ministry again. They had been told their ministries were over. As a matter of fact, one of them was told he wasn't called to be a pastor. And he says, God couldn't have called you to be a pastor. And somehow or another, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart about both of these men. And I began to pray with them and talk with them and meet them. And today, both of them are ordained assemblies of God, pastors in our denomination. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Not only do I need Barnabas in my life, but I need to be a Barnabas to somebody else. Because Barnabas looked at John Mark, and he says, John Mark, I know the most powerful preacher among us, the Apostle Paul. He's given up on you. And Paul and I have had some differences. But John Mark, I believe you were created in the image of God. John Mark, I believe the call of God is upon your life. I believe if you'll start what-if thinking, if you'll repent of your cowardness, if you will turn away from your fear, and you will follow Jesus and take up your cross, then John Mark, God can use you in a very powerful way. And later the apostle Paul changed his mind because John Mark had a Barnabas in his life. So I need those like Nathan. I need those like Timothy. I need those like Rhoda and Deborah. I need those like Jonathan. I need the Holy Spirit, but I need Barnabases in my life as well. Can you say amen to that? And then thirdly this morning, I want you to expand your thinking by spending some time imagining what if. Just begin to imagine. I was out for a walk with one of the older gray-headed men in our church. I've always loved gray-headed people. Matter of fact, Becky, I was driving along somewhere this week, and I was thinking about all the gray-headed people in our lives that have been a blessing to us. And then I reached over and turned the mirror and looked at myself and I saw all the gray hair coming up in my head. And I said right out loud, I really love gray-headed people now. As I began to think about it, there was an elderly man in our congregation. He and I went for, and everybody we met, he would stop and he'd say, God bless you. And he would talk to them. He'd ask several of them. He says, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal savior? He's an evangelist. He's got the gift of evangelism. And you know, with him, it wasn't offensive. People didn't feel offended. People stopped and talked to him. He told them how God had changed his life. You know, he's a what-if thinker. So I asked him about that, and he says, oh, pastor, I wasn't always like this. He said, I would have never done this until I started coming to Woodland Church. He said, but once I started coming to Woodland Church, and I discovered, you know, that every day we're supposed to share our faith. He said, I just decided everybody I would meet along the way, I would either say, God bless you too, or isn't this a beautiful day the Lord has made? And he says, sometimes I feel like asking them. He says, I just trust the Holy Spirit. I ask them if they're saved. And he said, I pray with them right there on the sidewalk, wherever I'm at. Isn't that a great story? story just by expanding your thinking about what if. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, a man is what he thinks about all day long. What consumes your thoughts? 
What consumes your mental imaginations? What consumes your praying? On your iPhone or your iPad, if you have one, you get a little reminder. And don't do this now because suddenly in the first service, several people were bringing up their iPhones to show what I'm going to say. That you get a little reminder of how you spent your time on your phone, whether you spent it studying, whether you spent it in productivity, whether you spent it in social media. One person came to me and says, Pastor, I need a detox from my phone. It's averaging. I'm picking up my phone every 12 minutes. And I said, well, let's try this. Delete Facebook. Don't delete that while I'm preaching. But let's delete Facebook and Twitter during the week and don't have it on during the week and just use it on the weekend and See how that changes your life. You see, what you think about, and the problem is, now listen, don't get angry. The problem is some of us aren't thinking. We're spending so much time with our devices or our televisions. We're allowing everybody else to do our thinking. Emerson says, a man is what he thinks about all day long. I hope you're thinking some what-if thoughts with God. I hope you're having some what-if conversations with your wife or husband, your children, maybe your community leaders. A.W. Tozer, in a book that I've recommended to you before, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. I hope you've got a big, big image of God. I hope you have an enormous view. I hope your soul is consumed with glorious thoughts about Jesus Christ. You see, there was 11 of those disciples. Their soul was consumed with big thoughts about Christ. So they spread the gospel all over the world. But one of those didn't allow Jesus to take the toxins out of his soul. And he ended up his life in defeat. And he ended up his life in eternal torment because he refused to allow Jesus to work in his life. We move by a secret law of the soul toward our mental image of God. One of my favorite verses of Scripture in the Bible is in Matthew 17 and verse 20, where Jesus tells us if we have faith as small as that of a mustard seed, it will move mountains. We can say to the mountain, move from here to there. You know, my wife has turned into a suburban farmer this year. I have enjoyed watching her. One night she came in and she goes, honey, I am just so amazed I can take a tiny little seed and put it in the ground. And we're eating from those tiny little seeds that I planted. She says, I'm giving food to our neighbors from these tiny little seeds that I planted. It's blown me away. And I was like, okay. You know, I grew up around that, you know. And so welcome to this world where so many people live. But to see the discovery upon Becky's face, a tiny little seed. And you may be thinking, you may be thinking online today, I don't have much faith. Pastor, I'm sure you've got big faith. Or maybe you look at somebody on television preaching to millions of people. You think they've got big faith. My faith is only as small as a mustard seed. But Jesus says, if you will put that mustard seed of faith in him, it will move the mountains in your life. That's what comes when we think with what if thinking. And don't think that faith is just shadowy. Don't think that faith is just mystical. For the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things 
we cannot see. Notice that. It's reality and it's evidence. Look around you. You see the evidence of people's faith. You're here because somebody had faith. You're here because somebody thought, what if? And ministry takes place in this church every day from what if. But there's more that God wants to do in you and through you and in your family and through your family and through our church and through our community. Listen, what if you're just one what if moment away from a life-changing experience with God? What if you're just one life if moment away from a totally different life? What if you're just one moment away from a what-if thought in your marriage? What if you're just one moment away from a what-if thought in your career or your education? After the first service, I talked with a young man for a few minutes, and we summed it all up, what he was talking to me about, into three things. And I said, does this sum it up into three things? He goes, yes, pastor. And I said, I promise you, I'm going to be praying over those three what if possibilities in your life? Because a seed of mustard faith makes all the difference. And I'll keep my promise to him. Every day this week, I will pray over those what if moments. Because if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. And nothing will be impossible to the people who put their faith in God. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me and let me pray with you this morning? And if you're watching online today, or maybe you're, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I hope you'll remember those three things that I suggested to you just a few moments ago. Number one, consider admitting, like myself, that you're a sinner and that Christ died for your sins. That's not an insult. That's just the condition of human beings. And Christ died for us. And number two, believe that God looked at you and said, you're made of my image and I love you so much that I'll send my own son to die for you. That's what John 3, 16 says, that God loved you. He loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. And then if you'll do that third thing, confess. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Confess it to the glory of the Father. I promise you, friend, you're just one what-if moment away from eternal life. You're just one what-if moment away from a brand new start in life. You're just one what-if moment away from what God created you for. And I want to pray with you, and I want to pray with you as well this morning. So will you bow your heads with me? Our Heavenly Father, we love you with all of our hearts. We thank you for your what-if thoughts about us. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that somewhere or another in your thoughts, what if they fail and you didn't give up on us, but you sent Christ to die for our sins? And so here's where I want you to pray with me if you're not a follower of Jesus. Would you just simply admit Say, Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. And as much as I understand today, I confess with my mouth 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you. Lord, make me a new man or a new woman. Help me to begin to imagine a what-if kind of life with you. What would my life look like, God, fully surrendered to you? What would my life look like, God, if you truly used me and empowered me? What would my family look like, Lord, if you blessed my family? And Lord, what will my office, my classroom look like if I begin to pray for them each and every day? I thank you, Lord, for it's in your holy name I pray. Amen and amen. And if you prayed that prayer, I promise you Christ forgave you of your sins. He washed them all away. You are a brand new person. And in just a few moments, Pastor Corey's going to come and he's going to show you something we'd like to send to you and give you at absolutely no cost just to help you get started in your Christian walk with Jesus. But I want to speak to those of you that are listening, that you are followers of Christ, and those of you that are here. Yesterday was National Police Day. It's a day of recognizing the sacrifices and appreciating our police officers and what they do for us. You know, police officers wear these cam, these little camcorders on their chest so that what they do and how they serve us is recorded. It's made public. Every one of you, whether you realize it or not, you've got a God cam on you. As I was sharing this with the first service, when you leave this place, or even right now, you've got a God cam on your life. You bring the peace of God into your subdivision. You bring the kingdom of God into your community. You bring the kingdom of God, the peace, the love, the joy of the Holy Spirit. You bring that into your office, your workplace. That God came in your life is revealing the glory of God through you. The Bible says that one day our thoughts, our words, our deeds, they're going to be displayed for the glory of God. Let's dream some what-if moments, not just for our family's future, not just for our finances, not just for our dreams, but let's dream some what-if moments for our community like the gray-headed man from our church who said to me, what if one person gives their hearts to Jesus while we're walking today? Wouldn't that be great, Pastor? And you know what I said, come on, Victory. Wouldn't that be great? Come on, Victory. Think about what God can do with your what-if prayers and your what-if dreams. I love you so much. Thank you for being out here in this windy weather today. God bless you. Pastor Corey, come on and tell our friends today about what we want to send them. Thank you, Pastor. If you prayed that prayer with Pastor today and you crossed that line of faith, we have a little gift for you. It's this book and this packet here that we'd love to send you. And so if you're watching online right now, um, you can either write a comment right now and just say, hey, I prayed that prayer or... You can email us at office at woodland.church and let us know you prayed that prayer and we'll get your information. And We want to send you this book and this packet that 
We'll help you on your journey and take the next steps in your faith. And so please let us know. And if you're here today and you prayed that prayer, we'd love to get this gift into your hands as well. Just stop by one of our tables here and and, uh, just say, hey, can I have that book? And we'd be glad to give it to you. Don't forget to give today. You can give through our app, our website, um, our ushers here as well. And so as you're walking um, back to your cars, please drop your offering in the baskets there along with your communication cards so we know who's here and if there's anything we can be praying about for you in your lives as well. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.